HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by LMT and Forever Cheese. This week, it's the season finale of Meet and Three. We're following up our episode about youth with a look at age and how aging affects life on farms and in kitchens. At the, the most basic level, we need people to grow food for a growing global population. The question of planning for retirement or old age as a cook It's almost one that doesn't exist bizarrely until it's too late. We also have a story about a food that might be older than you think. A recent archaeological finding might have crossfitters everywhere reevaluating their diets. Plus, a story about one of Atlanta's most historic and risque landmarks. There are dancers that have been there 20 and 30 years. Don't miss our season finale of Meat and Three, available wherever you get your podcasts. We talk about food. Talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Together. Do you wanna be alone together? 
okay to be lonely You can tell me We don't wanna be alone forever Let's make a change for the better Let's do it Let's fall back in love Do you wanna be alone together Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Chef Jason Roney, chef partner of the Rose in Venice. Jason, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you for having me. Uh, if you can hear the fans going on in the background, it's because we are in the one heat wave of the year in Los Angeles. Uh, which is ironic because I thought when I moved out here, part of the deal was that Venice would never get above 74 degrees. Yes. That was part of the deal. When you moved from New York to LA in Venice, you just thought it never, you never see 80. It was 110 on the line Saturday night. I mean, that's bonkers. That's bonkers. Um, so, before we get to the legendary Rose Cafe, okay. I want to go back to the beginning. Uh, and I want to talk about where you grew up in the OC. And actually, before we talk about food, I want to talk about music. Because I know you're a huge music fan, and the OC is a legendary yeah. music place. Uh, so when you were growing up, what was it like growing up there, going to shows, hit the punk scene, all that? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I listened to a, a large array of music I sure. growing up. I was probably the only kid in my Catholic school who watched Yo! TV raps religi sure. religiously. Sure. It was 3.30 every day, Monday through Friday, with Ed Lover and, and uh, Dr. Dr. Dre. You're like, I have, I have communion right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, sister. Because there was always, I think, there was like a, what was it, like a Headbangers Ball. Cause there yeah. Was, there, was, there was Young TV raps, and then there was Headbangers Ball right afterwards. I would say it played on Sunday nights or recorded for 120 minutes. 120 that minutes. Was my, that was yeah. sort of my Absolutely. church. Absolutely. Uh, so you grew up there, and then that was sort of your introduction. Uh, People forget that MTV really was awesome 
and a it good, used to be. It used to be, and a really great way to learn about music. Absolutely, I mean, it was it was my it was always on in the background. Oh yeah, it was always on. So until my parents got home, and then I was like, I wasn't watching TV. <laughs> um, so you love music early on. What drew you to music? I don't know. I think because my mom was always driving around with you know. I remember uh, a song of driving through the desert with a horse with no name was like a song that's always oh, yeah. like on in the background and. Uh, whether it was that or Michael Jackson to Diana Ross to Whitney Houston, my mom was always like rocking out. We had record players, we had records. She was cleaning. There was there was music on uh, in any sort of way. Um, yeah, my house was also a, always full of music. There was always music on. It's always weird when you go to a house and it's quiet. Absolutely. Um, so you grew up in Orange County, and uh, when I was digging into it, if you could have paid me to say what was your big first food job. There's no way I would have guessed Club 33. <laughs> and for those who are unfamiliar with Club 33, as I was actually until I moved out here, what is Club 33? Club 33 is a, for lack of a better, private club inside of Disneyland uh, that I believe is $25,000 membership fee. I, I think so. And a waiting list. Wait, that's like a five-year waiting list. That like It's I, the only place you can drink inside of Disneyland inside proper. Of Disney. California Adventure is a different story, but Disneyland proper... You could drink in there. And they actually have like an extensive wine list and cocktails, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you know, when I w I've been a couple times, and I was surprised. It's one of those places where it's way better than I, it has to be. Oh, yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's like this ornate, like New Orleans kind of style, you know, regal uh, restaurant. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Um, now, how did you get involved at Club 33? Well, so when I was 16, I went to Disneyland. And as any kid in Southern California is like, I want to work at Disneyland. And I'm sure. like, what do you want to do? I want, to, I want to operate the Matterhorn. Sure, and, yeah. Uh, so I showed up, you know, and uh, I was like, yeah, I want to work here and I want to be a ride operator. They were like, uh, yeah, no. So no. you're going to, we'll call you. And they we'll called call me, I think, like six months later. And my mom had worked in restaurants. She was a bartender. Okay. And uh, they're like, oh, we have a, a busboy job for you uh, at the Blue Bayou. Oh, yeah. Which is that restaurant at the Pirates of the Caribbean that you go by. They serve the Monte Cristo sandwiches at Brian Ribs. And also, was, not that bad. Not that bad. Impossible to get into as well. Impossible to get into. Easier to get into the Club 33. Yes. Uh, uh, pro tip would be to make a reservation before you go. Yes. And you can do a actually pro pro tip reservation and fireworks, fireworks reserve seating. Correct. Yes. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> uh, so that being said, uh, I was like, I went to my mom. I'm like, yeah, they want me to be a busboy. She's like, oh, you can make tips. It'll be cool. You should go do it. So I show up that day. There was no busboy job. They actually stuck me into a kitchen downstairs, which is below New Orleans uh, Square, yeah. called the New Orleans Meat Kitchen. And it's this massive, massive uh, production area for, I think, like seven outlets of restaurants. Yeah. French Market, Cafe Orleans, Veranda, Mid-Julep Bar, uh, what's it called? Blue Bayou, Club 33. It's amazing how they the, haven't updated. Because what year is this? This is 1990. Four. Okay. They haven't so, updated it much. No. But yeah. we actually used to make everything. Really? So when I came in, you know, I was like, oh, they're like, yeah, we're going to put you downstairs. And I was like, okay, great. And uh, we were making, when I say garbage pails, I mean huge garbage containers full of ranch dressing, mm. Italian dressing. We were uh, assembling Monte Cristo sandwiches for, for, um, for Blue Bayou. We were making vats full of, of clam chowder. 
seven times a day. Secret is that the water in the Caribbean ride is actually clam chowder. <laughs> they make enough of it. They make enough of it. Um, so what was and what did you learn? Like what did you take away from there? Is there any lessons from that first big job of working there and then working Club Thirty Three that's still with you today? Uh, Especially, well, I mean, volume, volume for sure. I mean, honestly, I mean, funny enough, Disneyland prepared me enough a little bit with the wherewithal to run, I think, a restaurant of this caliber and this size. Of Rose Cafe. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we serve almost 10,000 people a week here. I mean, that's insane. Those numbers are crazy. So, you know, like Disneyland, they, the coolest thing about Disney was like, I would get to work, I'd be there at 7, so I'd be walking across the park at 6.30, yeah. and it's it's amazing that you'd see them. They would put the whole place, Humpty Dumpty back together again every day. Yeah. The guys with the paintbrushes were painting the things, and you know, it, it resat itself every day, and for lack of a better, we kind of have to do the same thing here. I mean, it's a good, you know, when you're dealing with something like that, I mean, Disneyland is so impressive, and then when you get to peek behind, you know, Snow White's dress a little bit, it's even more impressive. It's uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Um, and so after Club 33, you went to another legendary place, you went to Chez Panique. Yes. Which, by the way, that one-two combination, it's like hang up the apron, because that's that's just the start of your career. But how did you hit Chez Panique right after Club 33? So I drove, so when I was working at Club, it was like my first introduction to like food. And I like, and this is early 90s, right? Yep. Yeah. And I wanted to be, I was like a graffiti artist in like high school. And sure. I wanted to go to the Oakland School of Visual Arts, and uh, but I had no, no money. So somebody gave me a, a gourmet magazine. There was a restaurant called Post Trio, which was Wolfgang Puck's outpost in uh, San Francisco, which was kind of like the Spago of, mm -hmm. of there. And they had these two chefs that were running called Mitchell and Steve and Rosenthal. They have a number of restaurants now uh, up there as well. So I showed up there and I was like, oh, you know, I, their food was really interesting. It was like roasted duck with pineapple sauce and bao buns. And I was like, what the hell is this what, Yeah, sure. So I got a job there first and I had been reading about Shea. And like one day I just took the train across to Berkeley. Did, to Berkeley and I was just like, hey, I just, you know, do you guys need help? And they're like, what do you mean do we need help? They weren't hiring. And I was like, well, I'll work for free. So what, what were stages not, mm, were they not doing like stages? Because, you know, anybody would, would have taken, anybody took free labor back then. Yeah. Free, la free labor is not a new thing. <laughs> just kidding. Just totally kidding, 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 totally kidding. kidding. Um, but so, and what was it like there? I mean, you know, you go from essentially this, uh, even though you're making everything house in Disney at Club 33, it's this very like, you know, I don't want to say Cisco, but you know, it's a very like big. Oh yeah, it's totally Cisco. Okay, fine, Cisco. <laughs> but then you go to like the the exact opposite where they're they well, really prepared networks. I wasn't prepared. No. No, what was the what was the one thing you weren't prepared for? Well, like they were like oh, one of the chefs was like, "Go grab me celery root," and I was like, "Okay, I'll go get some." So I literally cut the bottoms off all the celery in the walk-in, beautiful, and brought back all the bottoms of the restaurant. He goes, "Are you fucking kidding me right now?" Wow. <laughs> He's like, "Do you not know what celery root is?" I was like, uh, uh, "I guess I don't." I guess I, I'm about to learn. Uh, but you learn. I mean that. So I would say that like one two combination of get, knowing how to run a giant operation but then actually really getting to meet farmers and understand what the land is all about um i mean i'd never seen any of this so i, I grew up in orange county where like there was a farm behind my house right, right. we never used it right vegetables came out of a can and they right. actually put cheese on top of it and also this is the mid 90s it's a different now it's like oh it's it's completely different yes um and so after you spent a little bit more time in in california but then the siren of new york and europe yes. call so, you know, obviously born and raised in California, that East Coast thing, especially probably as a music fan, 
starts calling to you. So what drew, what brought you out there? Uh, there was a wine spectator that uh, chronicled every neighborhood in New York City uh, and all of their restaurants. Mm. And I was like reading about this food, and I was just like, what? Like one dish specifically was at Le Cirque, and it was a papillote of bass with layered with black truffles over a Barolo sauce or creamed cabbage. I was like, what the hell is that? What is that? I know th- I know those are words, and I know that's about food, but I don't understand. I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand what they were talking about. And like you read about this guy, Greg Coots at Les Panas, who, mm. was, who was doing these like Southeastern flavor, Southeast Asia flavors with French food, and the things that they were talking about. These articles, I was like, okay, well, I don't understand this, and I have to go find out what that means. Yeah. Um, and so, going to New York, going to London, what was the what was the difference? Of cooking in California, and will you shape me in like your time at Spago as a reference point? What was the difference? The pace. Yeah. Yeah, you have to move. Move. <laughs> you really. I mean, they, 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 there's a reason. There's a New York minute. New York will chew you up and spit you out. Big time. You're either you're either doing it. If not, somebody will do it for you. You gotta know. You gotta get that timing right of when to leave right before New York is like I'm done with you. Yes. Um. But so you're there, and where are you cooking, and what are you listening to? Oh man, the most—I f- mean, the thing about New York was there were so much opportunities to to listen to music. I think it, for me, it really kind of took off was when I got my first real chef job, which was uh, at the Tasting Room okay. on the East Village on First and First. It was a 23-seat restaurant. Oh yeah, where we changed the menu every single day. Sure, we were closed two days a week. No pressure. I used to fill up my backpack with vegetables at the farmers market. We would go to. Uh, now that you know what celery root is, now we know what celery root is. We would go to Chinatown and pick up like uh, you know octopus, and, sure, uh, squid, whatever else, and I would buy from all the Polish butchers over on First Avenue. Oh yeah, all their all their bacon and sausages. So we'd make all these menus up there. Yeah, long story short, it's across the street from Mercury Lounge. Oh yeah. So like, in late '90s, that was the place. That was the place, and it was like you know you were also around the corner from um, Sidewalk Cafe. Uh huh. So here we are. I would get off work. I walk across the street, go watch the Strokes play. Yep. Interpol. Uh, well, the Dodsons to Moldy uh, uh, Peaches, I mean, you name it. And yeah. then, like, we'd all end up at Three of Cups on 2nd Avenue, on 1st Avenue. Oh, my God, drinking, you know, uh, Paps and, like, uh, you know, shots of whatever. Shut- next thing you know, like, Julian Casablancas is sitting right here, and Albert Hammond's to your right. Yeah. That was, like, one of the, the, the coolest, coolest times. That was, the, I would say that was New York's, I don't want to say last coolest moment, but definitely when, like, New York was at the center of, of the part of the music universe. Oh, absolutely. And to be part of that and to cook like, food where those guys come in and eat? Yeah, absolutely. Albert specifically used to come in a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think from his father, he probably had a little bit of taste. A little bit of taste. Um, Wilson, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to play a song from the archives. When we come back, we're going to talk about opening up your first place, uh, hear a little bit more about music in New York, and then what eventually brought you back to the West Coast, here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Perfect and it's not so perfect on the on the other side 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Chef Jason Neroni at The Rose in Venice, trying to beat the heat with two fans, one AC unit. That kind of works. It kind of works. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this sort of heat reminds me of, of part of uh, like the New York summers, of where you're just like, I can't get cool. It is as close to a New York summer right now as you can get. Yeah. Um, so you're in New York. You've, you already have one hell of a resume. Uh, from Chez Panisse, from Club 33. Uh, you spent some time at Le Cirque. Le Cirque, Blue Hill. Blue Hill. 11 Madison Park, Tabla. Yeah. So the just a couple. Been, just a couple places. Uh, what drove you to open up your first place? Especially in a city as tough as New York. Well, I didn't really think I'd ever leave. Right. Uh, and why not? Sure. Um, you know, it was How great. old were you? What year was this? 27, 28. Okay. Also, the follies of youth sort of go into opening up a restaurant in New York. Because you think you can do it? Yeah, sure. Because, fuck you, you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I, to this day, I am a very different person from when I was that age to now. Like, you and a different chef altogether. Oh, my God. You? If you're still the same person who you are from 27 to 5 years, 10 years later... You got problems. You got problems. <laughs> um, so what was the first place? Where did you open it? What were you doing? 
first place I opened was uh, 10 Downey. Okay. On Downey Street, 6th Avenue oh, in the West Village. Solid location. Great location. Great. Right there. Bleecker Street meets right oh, yeah. there. I mean, the crazy, the crazy roads of West Village. Amazing. But they all led to one spot. Uh, what was the? Were you pulling from all of your past experiences, or was it something new? What What were you going for? With At first, I was very reserved, because um, like at seventy one, where I was the chef, I took over for Wiley. I was, you know, they called we called it like the press called it high wire act cooking. Like we sure, were, we were pushing the envelope, you know, like as hard as we could. Like really, just look what I can do. Yeah, and I think with Ten Downing, it was it was the height of the crash it was 2008 yeah and then we were like you know it was a return to simplicity it was like look at now we were like butchering whole animals making sausages <laughs> terrines uh, so I mean if they could not write enough about hamburgers that year 2008 we had a burger on the menu yeah and, and uh yeah that was the year like uh what's it called but McNally's place that was serving the burger the corner no oh the um I'm blanking on it but it was like the the 26th the Black the, Label the Burger flat roof, flat roof, the year the Manetta Tavern Manetta Tavern there we go great restaurant great restaurant and that was the year when they were like that started it was like oh we're gonna put a $26 Black Label Burger on there yeah mm-hmm. and that was by the way great burger great burger great burger totally great burger so um, you opened the place it's 2008 and you were like we you it was sort of like you know that I can do all this but here's the restraint yeah I mean I, I pulled no like I had a passion and flair for Asian uh, techniques like dashis and ponzus and what, what didn't touch those there. It was like more of like a, I want to call it like French aesthetic. Sure. We were really pushing. There was a great short rib with braised with a, you know poached bone marrow on top too. Mm. Uh, we got really famous because I really wanted to emulate the Judy Rogers whole roasted chicken salad. Ooh. So that was one thing that we were really but we were selling so much chicken there. It was insane. And it was just at that time. It know? was that time. It was a good time, and I feel in many ways that. Even though the economy's strong, it sort of swung back to a little bit of that, of what 2008 was doing. I still sell a lot of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when opening the restaurant, and music being a big part of your life and all that, what was the opening soundtrack? How'd you put it together? Uh, uh, that was a lot of fighting involved on that one. Really? Yeah, because the owners had a different idea of what they thought it was going to be. Uh, what was your idea? For me, uh, we, there was a huge art presence in there. Sure. Um, uh, Alex Katz to uh, Damian Hurst. We had like very serious paintings on the wall. So, you know, you, you, at the time, I don't think my prowess for music was as great as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it definitely had, has grown. But then it was more like, you know, I couldn't get that East Village mindset out of my way. Dude, that rock scene, but that rock scene was everything then. I mean, I was up in, I was living in New York at the time and that was the world. I know then, I, I mean, I think it was like even then, I don't want to call it Pat. It was risky to play hip-hop in restaurants at that point. Uh, I know. And now it's like, uh, how am I a hip LA restaurant? I do French fine dining and put rap on this, the mute, on the overhead. There we go. So there was a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There was a lot of like David Bowie. There was a lot of LCD sounds. Still to this day here, but... I mean, I have no problem with any of that. Neither do I. None of that. Um, and so, how long, what's the run of the restaurant? How long are you there for? What... You know, what did you feel that you did there when you felt it was time to sort of come back to California? Uh, I was there for two years, and my son was born. You know, and uh, <laughs> the you know, idea of raising a kid in New York. Three months into it, uh, in a sweltering heat, as such, I was yeah. kind of like, you know, it's time to, it's time to go. It's so, time. and so you're just like, we're done. You and the wife and the son. I had avidly been looking to try to get into Los Angeles to come back, but when I left. 
when I left here in the first place, I was like, I'm going to go for a year, and then that's it. Fifteen years later, right. well, I guess it's time to go back. Um, and then when you came back, you, you opened up a few, you did some consulting, but then you wound up opening up your own restaurant, right? I ended up in San Diego for a little bit, which was really amazing, at this restaurant called Blanca. Oh, yeah. And we got four four-star reviews and all the tribunes, but again, it was still... What I was doing there, they were not ready for it in San Diego at the time. We were doing like bone marrow stuff, ribeyes to uh, foie gras mousses, mm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we were we had a bar menu that did really well, and we had a fine dining room restaurant that did not. Yeah. So I was there for about six months, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't great um, for business. And eventually, uh, as things do happen in business, we moved on. Yeah. And I I floated for a little while. I consulted a lot. I was in Aspen. I was in Toronto, I was in Portland. Can I ask yeah. about the consulting part of every chef who's successful of their long-term relationship because yeah. of, a, of a, sorry, of a profession? Because I feel like every chef who's owned a restaurant and then sort of goes in this weird consulting, like Paula Brandt has done that, like all the guys, the big guys have done it. Things like that. What is that moment like where you're like, I'm going to consult? What, like, what's going through your head? Sometimes you need a gig. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still consult from time to time for, for, for certain people. Just don't broadcast it. Yeah. Sometimes people just need, like, advice and direction in, in certain ways. Yeah. I mean, I know some chefs that have made a career out of being consultants. Exactly. I guess that's sort of what I'm getting at. People who are just, like, they had a restaurant, they no longer have a place, and they're just consulting for forever. I don't know how people can do that on a regular. It seems like it would be a little difficult. Cause yeah. Because you're, 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 in fact, you're selling yourself. Right. You're trying to always get the next gig, and it's like, how much can you really can, can can you lend yourself to this project? Right. And how long does your name? Because when you leave a restaurant, you're like, now I'm consulting for them. You still have cachet, but once you get out of the game for long enough, and you're not like, I don't have my restaurant anymore. It's like, have, do you, at what point do you, do you lose that cachet unless you become uh, part of like a restaurant business or you know like a restaurant management group? Correct. I don't know. I don't know how you do that. Maybe you either be you either start your own business, and, but this is the restaurant business. Like you're only as good as your last plate. Sure. Yeah. If you're not, on, uh, for lack of a better, on the trend, or if you're not consistently putting out a product that people appreciate, I don't know how you stay relevant. Especially when your name, sometimes, especially when you're consulting, is nowhere on the menu, nowhere on the project. It works like if you have your own business and you're assigned consulting, but then you have to be very careful what you're lending yourself to. Yeah, especially if you put your start putting your name on, like, I mean, there's people who will come to you, I mean, people still come to me, and they're like, oh, we want you to do da-da-da-da, and I'm like, Maybe white label. My name will never get out. So coming back to L.A., Yes. Uh, when did you feel ready to open up your next place and what was that place? So I just had an idea. Um, I got really good at making pasta. And uh, I basically sold an idea to a former partner of mine to do Superba Snack Bar. Which was an amazing spot. Yeah, it was uh, this cool, like, lack of a better kind of sushi counter with yep. like an ex- extended uh, uh, restaurant, which was honestly the day that they, we finished it, I was it was a little scary because I was like, oh my god, I'm like, I'm on display here. Oh yeah, there's no hiding. There was no hiding. You picked a dish you can't really hide behind <laughs> because there's no hiding behind pasta and you're out in the open. Yeah, it was very strange. Uh, but it was it was awesome. We knocked it out of the park. It was, I, I really just said it's a concept that I wanted people to be able to um, eat every day for lack of a better. Yeah. I, I always look at things a little differently. I wanted to give like, you know, the classic carbonara a little twist. Let's, sure. let's smoke it. Let's... You know, put a 62-degree egg poached on top of it. 
you know, let's turn it on its head a little bit. But and this so, was like 2010, 2011? Yeah, we opened, 11. we opened like literally, I think, seven years ago this week. Yeah, and so that was, that was very much of the ilk when like it was like, we've swung past the recession, but we still want comfort, but we're now open to like sort of pillaging the best of the uh, like avant-garde techniques. Yeah. Sous vide egg and things like that, and the smoking and all that type of stuff. Yeah, we were doing a lot of fun stuff. We were doing like lavender braise, lamb bellies over there, and uh, fried chicken was like on a roll at that uh, time. Fried chicken was huge at that yeah, time. And we were doing uh, this this really awesome fried chicken dish. I mean, it was still comforting, but it was still filling. And I don't think there was anything on the menu over twenty dollars. And that's great, especially for this part of town. Um, and what was the soundtrack? Did you have control of the soundtrack? I, for the most part. Um, were you bringing any West Coast vibes, New York vibes? Again, I still was not overly comfortable playing hip hop there yet. Okay. Except for maybe I think like a two chain song once in a while. Oh, sure. <laughs> Which is like going to be more extreme for hip hop. I, but, I, uh, I was not expecting to. Yeah, I think it was like oh, I had like most deaf song that. Uh, I don't think I, I had music on the main there, but I wasn't as creative I think as I was, as I've become with yeah. music. But there was always a Wilco. There was a Ray La Ray Montaigne and what's his name? And uh, there's always a Strokes in there. Of course. And, uh, that's that's a security blanket. Yeah, I mean it's you know last night. I mean you oh, yeah. can't never not hear that again. Oh, uh, I know. So um, and so you're at Superba. Uh, what? How does that wind down there? And how do you wind up here at Rose Cafe? Uh, well, Superba. We did Superba food and bread. Yep. We did uh, this place called Eastboro, which was like this Vietnamese concept down in Culver City. Uh, I got approached to do the Rose, and I said no. And then I said no again. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, oh maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was a little close to home, yeah. honestly, at the time. Uh, like, really close to home. Like, physically or emotionally? Physically. Okay. Uh, you know, because it's like three blocks up the street. Right. But unfortunately, as business goes, uh, people uh, separate. Yep. And I saw a really great opportunity with us. Uh, living in Venice. This is a Venice institution. I mean, it's a, for those, let's paint a picture. For those who have never heard of Rose Cafe, how, what is the importance to the neighborhood? Uh, I think it's kind of like one of those cornerstones. It was always that meeting place for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, it's been here since 1979. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I believe there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of people to walk through these walls. A lot I mean, of people. You would have said Rose Cafe to anybody. It was always that spot that people met. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I actually had meetings here before when I was down the street just because it was a place you could just go to. It was centralized. Yeah. But I don't think it had ever yet met its full potential that I think that it's at now. I mean, so you come in in 2015. 2014? 2014? Reopened in 2015. Reopened in 2015. Yeah, it was 14 when I got brought in, so 15, we close it the day after Valentine's Day, and then open up that November, so yes. So, when you are at the helm of an institution, mm-hmm. and you're the new guy, and there's people who've been coming here for two decades, and they they know the Rose Cafe. You, you don't know the Rose Cafe. Like, I don't how do you keep it so that you don't upset the people who have been here for forever, but bring it into a modern era? Both menu-wise and music-wise. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah? Uh, Would you care to expand on that? There was a lot of backlash. Right. Uh, I mean, there was there was one protester one day when we opened. Really? There was one. Signing everything? Uh, I believe so. Okay. But how do you approach it? Because, I mean, you, you obviously have your ideas. You obviously know where the, a restaurant like this... Because, you know, this restaurant could just be only having old regulars and not ever attracting anyone new. So I slipped in before they closed right. and started dropping in a couple new menu items before sure. they closed just to test out the, the waters a little like bit. Like DJing, just like little, uh, just teasing little beats of upcoming songs, right? Yes. 
And uh, eventually when we closed, and I, I brought some of those things back, one of them was the crispy Brussels sprouts with kale, pesto, and two fried eggs. It's like one of our classic standard dishes. Something up better than that. Uh, we saw a lot of them. Uh, and you know, we 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 opened with breakfast and lunch first, yeah. which is what they were known for. And we didn't even touch dinner first because, excuse me, I think we wanted to welcome them back into the community. You know, we wanted sure. to be welcome back, and you know, we activated this entire restaurant in phases, which was another very difficult part. Yeah. So, and uh, how was the response? I think good. Yeah. I think I think I mean. February 16, 2018, we served over 1 million people. I mean, that's crazy. That's so crazy. So, And let's talk about the music, because you are now doing seasonal playlists. Yes. Um, feeling comfortable about putting hip-hop on the... Absolutely. Okay. What was the, do you remember the first hip-hop song you put on here? Or Wrong. one of? It was probably, like, Jay-Z, Hard Knock Life or something. Sure. Classic. You gotta, you gotta, put, gotta put on a banger, like, you know. I like to put on Anthony songs for people because it puts them in good moods. They understand them. They want to sing to them. People feel that comfortability. They relax a little bit more. Um, now, I, I know that you do seasonal playlists. How do the seasons affect the different playlists that you're going to do? Uh, it could be... It, it just like, you know, like right now, uh, what are we putting on right now? I couldn't... The, the actual list. You have uh, Tainted Love, the soft style song, yeah. which is one of... <laughs> uh, the That and To Where Did Our Love Go. That, the bridge... In between the two songs is one of my favorite turns in music. Uh, I put on yesterday "Cruel Summer" by Bananarama. Beautiful, <laughs> which is very apropos very for the cruel. moment. Uh, it's sometimes fun and quirky. Yeah, you know, I uh, got your my mind set on you by George Harrison. Yeah, um, and winter times a little bit more like introspective, a little bit more like Elliot Smith type of stuff. Yeah, a little bit more Interpol. A little bit more, a lot more Interpol during the winter time. Um, a little bit more national. Yeah, a lot of national in the winter time. Um, so, you know, you sit here at the helm of this big institution, you're doing 10,000 people a week, you got a killer playlist. What's next? Like, what's on the horizon? Like, how do you keep, now that I feel that you have people with you, you know, you've proven yourself, you're not the new guy anymore, like, where do you want to push an institution like this to in the future? You know, I re I've seen about that the other day, and I was reflecting, like, I don't, you know, you always want to be, you always want to impress people, you always want to keep cooking and cooking great food. But I don't want to be that guy that's pushing the envelope anymore. Like, I want to just cook, find great ingredients yeah. with great people and push those items. I mean, if I find, you know, we just found this really awesome melon called a uh, pretty melon, P-R-I-T-Y from Weiser Farms. Mm. It's basically like a sweet and sour melon. Interesting. And uh, we were doing it. I got this country ham from Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Which is like this two-year, it tastes like... Uh, Shout him out. Who's the, who's the producer? That's uh, Hammery. Nice. Hammery. It tastes like Grand Reserva. Kind of has like a blue cheese funk on the outside mm -hmm. of it. We did that with just some ricotta and uh, like a basil sauce. And like, it, it sounds like a well, basic bitch, but it's like really good. Yeah, but you're pulling an, un you know, you're taking your classic ham and melon pairing. You're taking, you know, a legendary ham purveyor, an unknown melon, and then folding in those fresh herbs. It's a whole new take. It's sort of what you're yeah, working Yeah, it's a take with. and you get it and it, it, it speaks for itself. Awesome. I don't need to like throw four different sauces at the plate with a crumble and a powder and a this and a that and it's just like just and I think I think people appreciate that yeah I think if I never see a powder again I'll be good you know yeah it's just it's time it's come and gone well chef thank you so much my pleasure congratulations where can people follow you where can people listen to the playlist I know they're up on Spotify I think it's jamming with Jason yeah it's jamming with Jason on Spotify jamming 
Jamming with Jason. Jamming with Jason on Spotify. And if people want to visit Rose Cafe online or in person, where can they go? Uh, Rose, Rose Cafe Venice? Yeah. Yeah. RoseCafeVenice.com? Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> and the Rose Venice Instagram. And the, and the Rose Venice Instagram. The Rose Venice Instagram. Which has a link to our Spotify. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thank you.
This episode is presented by LMT, the hospitality industry's preferred source for tabletop and more. From their New York City headquarters, LMT provides expertise and uniquely curated product opportunities to restaurants and hotels nationwide. Whether it's china, glass, and silver, to smallwares and equipment, LMT's approach to tasteful design and product knowledge is simply unmatched. Learn more at littlemtucker.com. This episode is also presented by Forever Cheese, a passion for great taste. Forever Cheese sources the highest quality and most unique cheeses and other products from Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Croatia, and imports them to the United States, the majority under the Medica brand. If it's Medica, it's got to be incredible. Learn more at forevercheese.com. Hi, I'm Moxie Rosenblum. My dad, Harry Rosenblum, hosts Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. Right now, HRN is having a summer membership drive. Becoming a member is so easy, and you'll help support shows like my dad's. You can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are sitting in the lovely and legendary Danger Bird record studio in Silver Lake. And we are with one of Silver Lake's own hometown heroes, Billy Woma. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Uh, you are one of the few born and bred and still live in Silver Lake. Well, actually, I'm, uh, I am born and bred. Um, but you moved away because people yeah. like me moved here. <laughs> it's fine. You can say it. Yeah, it was. It's funny. Me, me, and my girl were just having that conversation, and I was like, "Well, you can't." She was saying that because of people like you, and I was like, "Well, you know, I think growing up in LA, I've seen it so much in all the neighborhoods. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like numb to it. It doesn't. I don't really. It's like people want to be together. We're we're weird creatures, man. Like, yeah, something happens in a place. People all want to be there, like from a car accident on a freeway all the way to like this huge metropolis. People are just like gravitated towards like, you know, spectacles and other people. It's a thing. Well, also, uh, I mean, I did live in sort of the same sort of place in Brooklyn, but with L.A. Where the the, same shit was happening. Where the same shit was happening. But like with L.A., uh, you know, you you pick where you want to live and you want to hang because if not, then you're just in the car the whole time. That's true. Yeah, man. Um, Oof, so, but I mean, what's much. it been like seeing growing up? Where's your family from originally? Well, my my dad's from Chicago, but he moved to the Bronx, and that's where my mom's from as well. Oh, yeah. Bronx. Where? What part of the Bronx? I don't even know, man. All I know is like I got a, a lot of. We're Italian, and, and Arthur Avenue, maybe. That sounds familiar. Okay. You know? I used to go there more when I was a kid, but then my mom my my mom moved her parents out, and they just lived with us, so we had less reason to go out. Yeah, there. Arthur Avenue is the famous like Italian uh, yeah. strip. That sounds, I think so my... So grandparents from Italy? Yeah, from Italy. Big all. food family? Yes, yes. Like Sunday gravy, supper, things Dude, like that? Dude, every day, six o'clock. That's like, you know, we're big on family values, like multiple generations living in the same house. Like, you know, my grandfather taught me how to do this tight little mustache. Like it's a good mustache. For those, <laughs> for those who obviously can't see it, it's worth a Google. It's worth <laughs> Google a Google. Google my mustache. Um, your first band was actually... All in the family, right? Or the first, That's the right. first big, Babes. Yes. Yeah, I used to be in a band with my brother and sister uh, called Babes. And it was just, it was, 
just my dad had taught us how to kind of play and sing and do harmonies and all that. And I wait, what was that like? <laughs> uh, you know, I've never, you right, know, right. it's like, it's yeah. like, oh, my dad taught us how to play sports or yeah. like things like that, but like teaching your kids how to harmonize because that's not a given yeah. that your kids can even harmonize. Right. Yeah. My, like my brother, my sister is like, she's a sick singer. I'm, I'm okay. And, and my brother's not good, uh, but, but so that's why we always like put him in the, we give that? him the easiest. You hear that, bro? You hear that, bro? <laughs> he knows. I'm on the record. He knows, dude. He knows. Believe me, he fucking knows. But standing next to your sister, you're like, she levels you up. She's great. She's great. Yeah. So it's like, you know, especially with harmonies, it's kind of like, it's a team effort. <laughs> oh yeah do dad can sing though yeah he's really good he's really good and, and grandparents and on his side yeah sing? my my all my grandparents sang like it was a big very musical family Ooh. very musical like you know like okay here's the here's the thing like we're like italian immigrant vibes so it's like we're not big on sports we're big on family and music like that's kind of and food yeah it's like it's just like it's like it's like a stereotype but real Right. Italian people. So I can only imagine the holidays at your house are awesome. Yeah, they used to be, man. But everyone's like, you know, doing their own thing and, yeah. and working. You know how it is, man. To live in LA, it's expensive. You got to also like, it's not as... Grind. Yeah, plus, plus all my grandparents are they are past now. So it's like back then it was a thing like grandparents, aunt, my mom and dad, me and my brother, sister, always like then, then inviting over other family. So uh, your dad teaches you how to harmonize. Yeah. Obviously, you're younger, but as you yeah. get older, what made you want to start a band with your brother and sister? Because that is always not the recipe for less stress and yeah. success. It definitely was not less stress at all, man. That shit is... Family bands are tough. They're really hard because like, there's a... There's you can't ever level. really walk away. No. Like, you can walk away from the band, yeah. but you still got to see them at Sunday at 6 p.m. Totally. totally, and it's like, you know, there's a level of uh, there's a level of respect that people give each other or just leeway that people give each other when you're not that fucking tight. You know, like, you'll just let people, you'll let shit slide, but you might not with other people. Now go on tour with those people 24-7 who don't let shit slide. It's tough. And are pulling up stuff from, like, you're not even starting at zero. You're starting yeah. at like, remember when you were eight and you ripped off my Barbie's head <laughs> or like you ate the last piece of cake on yeah. my birthday? Like they're bringing up stuff. They're like, what do I just, I'm sorry. I sat in the front seat. Like, what do you want from me? Yeah, man. I mean, we're, you know, we're not like, we weren't really like bickery. We were more like, I don't know, dude. We're a weird family. What can I fucking say? My family, my family is very strange. I'm sure everyone thinks their family's strange, but I don't know. I, I don't even know what to think at this point. I just, I just try to gravitate away from whatever the bickering shit is, and I try to. I just want to be happy because because life is weird, man. And short. It's fucking short. Uh, it's really short. What was it like writing with your brother and sister? That's fun, man. That's just fun. When me and my sister, we we used to write together. We got a publishing deal when, like, we were just kind of before Babes even. We had a publishing deal. And we were writing for other people and. And just we were in the studio twenty four seven, and it's like that's just that's just fun, man. Like yeah. the only thing, the only thing that really gives me pure joy with no nothing, nothing like poisonous, nothing like insidious in it is music. For me personally, mm -hmm. I don't know. Everything else is like comes with it comes with you know uh, like stipulations. It comes with like you know certain things that. 
you're gonna you're gonna get this, but it's gonna take this from you. Music is the only thing that just gives pure. I mean, not the business side. The business side's fucked oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> that's fucked up. But and that's gonna kill you. But, but when you're writing. Yeah, and, that's and beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's the only time when I'm truly like, I feel good. I feel really good right now. Most of the time I feel pretty bad. But like, you know, I got some okay friends now. Uh, Nadella, my girls, helped me ha- like make friends because I'm like a very, uh, I'm like You're a, a sensitive lone wolf. Guy. Yeah, I'm a sensitive person I'm a, and I like being alone. But and now I have cool new people in my life and that makes me happy. Well, uh, <laughs> speaking of beautiful things and the cool people in your life, yeah. uh, I know I got the band in-house. And these are all cool-looking people. Yeah. Uh, what song do you want to play for first? Uh, w- without you. Without you. Anything behind it? You want to give a little a little intro? Um, <laughs> it's just a song about um, when your person leaves you, and you think all of these weird. It's just like the the relation the relation of when someone leaves you to what you think. It's just the thoughts in your head when you're just sitting there and you're like, wow, this is. I'm alone now, and I'm going to have to have a new life. That's what that is. All right. Well, here we go. Billy Womo, Dangerbird Record Studios in Silver Lake on Snackatoons here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
That was awesome. Yeah, it was good. Okay, I don't even know, man. I don't. No, it's know. sweet. I just be myself now. I don't even know what you to got, fucking do. You, you have uh, the song has like a like a classic fifties doo-woppy Burt Bacharach sort of vibe. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, Bacharach's the shit, but I gotta give up to Hal David. That's that's my yeah. man. Hal David is so fucking dope. He comes up with those lyrics, dude. What the fuck? I know. I mean, it's funny uh, when you really go back. Obviously, I mean, this is obviously before you. Are born, but that type of like lyricism yeah. in songwriting. Obviously, there's some like 50s, 60s nonsense songs. Yeah, but there is some real so like, good, man. holy crap, these yeah. are like words next level, next Next-mith. level po- stuff. Poems, poems, man, poems set to music. That's what they should be like. You know, that's my okay. So I like a lot of modern music, but that's my one issue is I wish people would spend a little more time on the craft of of the lyrics because I I learned to write lyrics from a dude who's also, he was a big Silver Lake uh, proponent, which Benji Hughes, I don't know if you know that guy's music. It's Mm-mm. beautiful, man. He's probably, it debate. he's debatably the best living songwriter right today, but nobody really knows him, and I don't know why, like, but he's crazy. Check his lyrics, man. All it's right. sick. You're going to love it. You're going to love it, if that's the thing you dig. Yeah, I love that stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I love all that old stuff. I love the classic stuff, the romanticism behind it. Where yeah. it's like Me too. Yeah. Me too. It's great. Um, so now that you... So Babes is done. You put out a yeah. couple albums. Yeah. And you're working on your solo stuff now. Yeah. I mean, what made you... <laughs> other than maybe de-stressing a little bit. Well, uh, what just, made you... What, what, what put bed, Babes to bed and made you want to pick yeah. up the guitar by yourself? Well, I like kind of had... Okay, so two things. One... Babes, when I was in that band with my brother and sister, like we did, we we just kept going as long as people were like, we're interested, like here's some money, yeah. make a record. We were like, okay, we'll just keep doing it. And then, but the way that it went was we got a deal and then they wanted a certain sound and I tried to, we worked with this one producer and uh, it didn't really, then they were like, no, your demos are better. So I redid it. And then they were like, yeah, but it's gotta be like this thing. So I was like, okay, I know what they wanted. Basically they wanted what I do, but but only the pop, only like the most poppy, like right. more up-tempo, more like So if you have a sellable. spectrum from like melancholy <laughs> to like mid to pop, exactly. everything that's left to pop, Exactly. See, yeah. They wanted, like, one time they, they said, the, the president said uh, that we sounded like, we sounded like uh, the Velvet Underground meets the Ronettes. And then he was saying, but do more Ronettes. And that was the thing. And I was like, I know what he's saying. So we tried that. And that's hard to write. That's really hard. Like, try to fucking write those songs, man. They yeah. are difficult. And, you know, you I'm have a good, but. Crazy man with a wall of sound behind you. You know what I mean? Of course, man. With like, yeah. possibly a gun. As well. Well, he definitely, yeah. He definitely, sorry. <laughs> definitely had a gun. Definitely yeah. had a wall of Yeah, I mean, that's tough, you know, it's especially... It gets, it gets boring, too. As you were saying, if, you know, music to you is this pure happiness. Yeah. And someone's like... Exactly. Someone's like... See, you get it, man. Uh, yeah. And I get it. Like, you yeah. can't always be the artist you want to be, especially, as you said, with the business side of it. But if someone's yeah. saying, like, I can't even let you start at being an artist because we have this idea of who we think you should be. Yeah, yeah. It's... um. Yeah, that's like, and they did hold up our record for a, a while because of that. And dicks. Yeah, total dicks, man. Like, you know, I I don't know. Like, it's it's tough to meet someone that works in the music business in the on the business side, who is cool, man. They're all weird. I don't know. Like, Aaron's pretty cool. Aaron's cool. He's Shout really out Danger cool. Bird. 
Andy's cool. <laughs> he's a cool dude, and he because I because he knows he's a he's a musician. He's a he makes music, so he knows what it takes. Yeah, but like, I mean, most it, of them are they're fucked up. And, but it's and, just harder now because there's it's like every album. There's no room for error. Yeah, you're right. There's no room for error, yeah. and like there's this not there's no R and D. There's no like let's right. take a chance. It's like. Even your chances can't really be like your yeah. chances. Like okay, you're not Beyonce, so you're you're a chance. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's the way they look at it. And it's it's a really it's not a cool thing, man. Because I just think of I think of this like how many like great songs are we missing out on because these people are like we have zero chances. We cannot miss. So they just like they pass on really amazing songs really amazing people for for something that they think they think you want yeah that's, that's what it is gross dude yeah that's it's, gross. it's not Come even like now it's not even like we think it's good it's we'll think it's it will sell we think that this is we're pretty sure this is what you want and they, we don't even fucking know that's why i okay so now to circle back to what you were saying was the answer is i'm doing this now because i sat down and i just went i don't fucking give a shit anymore so many great and I just by the way want to, so many great yeah. things have started with some version of that sentiment it felt good dude that's why i did it because i was like i don't fucking care and i'm just gonna do what makes me feel something because more and more i wake up every day and i feel less and less and that makes me that makes me really sad dude i don't know what that is but like so doing this has been pulling me the other way and it, it means a lot to me so the fact that that anybody I was like I don't care if one fucking person listens to it and they're like that means something to me I'll be okay but it's been kind of the opposite that people are sort of slowly you know tuning in and going like this is a vibe that I get down with and I love that because like I played this show the other day with these young uh this young Hispanic dude Katsu Oso who's so dope he's so good man I love his shit and they I met all these young young people when we just were having a good time and talking about like sensitive boy shit sensitive boys sensitive music like you know being be not wanting like you know whatever i'm not going to say like any bands but like you know th- like we're not trying to like always turn up we're turning down man yeah. turn down like i, I don't want to fucking hear that noise like i want someone to tell me something beautiful because i don't know what the other what what else is there really yeah just some stuff well speaking of beautiful stuff we're going to yeah. hear what's the next song you're going to play uh we're going to play alone together okay well here we go Billy Womo, Alone Together, Danger Bird Record Studio, and Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.org.
mean, that's some beautiful stuff. Thank you. Um, now, I know that you mentioned uh, you're playing with a young Hispanic band, and what I had heard is that, like, you're sort of getting into this, you know, East L.A. Hispanic community, which has a big love for guys like Morrissey and things like that, and your yeah. vibe of sensitive music <laughs> is sort of tapping into that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I definitely... That's... If, if I do get accepted... By that community to any degree, I'm super happy because yeah. that's sort of what that's sort of like where I. By grew, the way, grew those up. people's bullshit meters are dialed up to like eleven. <laughs> but you know I, what I mean? You know what yeah, I mean? You get yeah, yeah. With that, I think that makes sense to me. I mean, like it's you know, like you can go to the whiskey or whatever, and that's just all bullshit. Like it's just nothing. There's Does nothing. Still go to the whiskey? Who goes I don't the whiskey? know. Or the Roxy. I don't, no, I don't go. No I don't go here. I don't go over there anymore. And if I we never just, did, if we just lost did. our potential sponsorship with the whiskey, I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh, shit, my bad. No, it's okay. We, they, they don't know us. <laughs> but yeah, like I don't. You know, it's not. I I think that any. They just like either good vibes, like good dance. It's also about fucking danceability too. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, can you dance to it? Because I can't dance to an Imagine Dragons song. I don't even know how do you do. How would you no. even do that? But like, do you have people doing like slow dances to your song? Not slow dances. They're not dancing to my shit as much. Like I'm even slower than these guys. But that's why I was like, there's some swing, some like swing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you gr- you could you know do you, like grab your girl and like. Do the thing where like, like she's yeah. in front of you and you hold her from behind a little sway. See, you know. That's I what know. I was I didn't know how to describe that exactly. I know, that's that's what I was thinking, but thank Please. you for I went to I a couple shows. That. You know, I got my <laughs> she's got her hands in the pockets of my card again. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. See, that's what I'm trying to do. I don't want like I don't I'm not trying to like, you know, whatever um slip knot people or whatever. I mean, like, look, right time, right place for that. Totally, man. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing I wrong. I could dig that. Nothing like, um, Yeah. So you are working on a run of EPs right now, right? Yeah, I'm doing... Uh, you have two out? I got two out now. I'm doing my third. Um, it's called All Trash, No Love. And it's uh, it's cool. I like it. It's going to be good. And, and I'm doing 10 four-song EPs. I just want it to be this series. And like, I just, you, you know, keeping in in line with just doing what I want. I I like like little pretty things. So I was thinking like I just want to look at the end. I want to see like 10 little covers. They all look the same. Yeah. My friend Jessica uh is making them. She does the artwork. Like I I show her what I want. And she does the artwork and it's just going to be this really beautiful little thing like when you listen to it each each album, each EP has its own little story that kind of is a is a it's a con that's all concepts right so yeah each little one's its own little one and then yeah. all 10 together will be a larger arc yeah like it should be uh it should have like some kind of it's arc, on the record but... now man you better do it <laughs> no i mean like that is more that will end up being more abstract <laughs> i'm Dude, kidding i'm not hey, putting that pressure on that's you. a lot yeah no no I, i'm already you know, <laughs> you know like... the way that we really see you is yeah. this like big opus storyteller and what we would no, yeah man it's um, like so... um, who the fuck am i bob dylan like <laughs> yeah uh so the first one is wasted yeah which is just like the story of a relationship it's just like you get together you dig each other you know, then you break up and then you kind of reflect on that shit in a terrible way. Like, it's just the, it's just that, like that whole. Is there know. any sweet to your sour? Like, is there some happiness in there? Yeah. And I'm not saying that there has to be. Like, sure. you, you could be yeah. melancholy all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it, there is. I in Because sometimes that sadness is yeah. extra super sad when you sure. have a little, like the hope <laughs> of happiness. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, of course. Yeah. No, you got to have that. Like, okay, so I got on my... I, I haven't decided yet. There's two songs that I'm I'm vacillating on. I that might end up on the the fourth one, 
or but it might be on this all trash no love it kind of depends on where i go lyrically but there's two songs that's called uh right here in my arms and there's another song called i already have all these songs written but the it's called right here in my arms and the other one is called which is just about like you know you feel you feel sad and it's like that's okay because i love you and you come here and my in my arms yeah. is where you're gonna find love but then the other the other one that's nice is called uh i want to live in a world where dreams come true okay <laughs> so yeah like that's like more There's hope yeah a lot of hope that's when i like urban berlin shit oh <laughs> yeah that is that like grandiose yeah just like straight up very literal very literal, like. And for just, your recording, is it just all you? Or are you bringing in the band, or? Well, I bring in, I bring in my people, because like you know, David, for instance, he's the guitarist, and he's better than I'll ever be. I could practice for ten years; I'll never be as good as him. So like, I do write it all, and I know what I want, but. And you're like, go shred this. Yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna fucking look. Look, man, I. It's taken me a while, but I know who I am. I know what I'm good at, and I know what. I'm not like, and this dude is. That's the that's the toughest part. Yeah, totally, it is. It, well, it's, it's easy to be like, I'm not good at that. Yeah. And then the flip it's is the true. confidence to be like, I'm actually good at this other part. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard for people. That's harder. People are. I'm. I'm an asshole too. Like I will. Like I. You have to. I have to quell my ego and be like, you know, that's you're not good at that. Like, yeah. but that's not easy to do. That's not easy for people to. We're fucking. It's like that's survival, man. That's the universe pushing you to say that shit. We will die out if you don't say I fucking do it. Like, yeah. No, it's also <laughs> tough. I mean, especially in uh, making music or creating anything where you need other people. Yeah. Uh. Or or you you know, tree in the forest type of thing, but right. you need people to listen as well. And if you're just a, a dick the whole time, people yeah. are going to want to come around to be part of your band or listen to your music or like hang out with you and have a taco. Like it, you gotta, you gotta have it. But sometimes people like that, like sensitive guy with the, you know, the, yeah. like, Ooh, it's like, we were talking about, Hey guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. But guy? people get, you gotta, well, you gotta watch out. People get sick of that shit real fast. What are you into? <laughs> What are you into? Oh, yeah, what are you, what are you into, man? <laughs> what are you into, man? I don't know. Uh, well, listen, man, thank you so much for coming by. Yeah, I want to make sure we have enough time for one more song, but I want to make sure that people can find you online and everything. So where can get, people get the EPs? Uh, yeah, I got my EPs are all uh, on Spotify and whatever, all that stuff. And they're spell, on your, iTunes. spell your name just because they can't see it all. Cool. Yeah, yeah, Billy U-O-M-O. Okay. Cuomo. And then, uh, yeah, so I'm on the Spotify. I'm on the whatever title, if you do that. Or, Who and does then, title? And by the way, if Jay-Z. that just lost us our title sponsorship, I don't care because no one's listening. Literally, <laughs> hey, that was on you, man. <laughs> literally, I think the only reason why title exists yeah. is so for that one day, yeah. you can listen to a Beyonce or right, Jay-Z right. album before, everyone. before yeah. everyone else. And even this time, they didn't even hold out as long. Like oh, that yeah. new album popped up on Spotify a lot faster yeah, cause I don't think I think they're losing like the the streaming battle, but that's yeah. okay. Whatever, man. Oh wait, before we go, yeah. Oh, shall we check my? If you want to get like the EP though, like a physical, whatever, just Instagram me, cause I don't really do it that much, but I write people back because it's yeah, no, it's funny. I, it's I, nice. Yeah. Uh, but before I forget, the Babes Hotline. Yeah. Uh, which you were supposed to call if you're sad or and. Horny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was does the Babes Hotline still exist? No, it's defunct now. But it was, you know, we were just we were on the road, and just like we thought it was fun. You no, know, that's a great just, way gotta, to like have yeah. people like just any entertainment. Yeah, and you know, people call us and be like, oh, um, 
like oh we're like we're driving to, like Portland and we're almost there like oh we're waiting for you at the show blah blah that's blah nice. like yeah you know was, some people call and be like creeps and that's funny too we yeah. record it all and listen back and it was hilarious but that, those type of calls get you that that last like hour and a half of driving yeah yeah totally were man. people more sad or horny uh <laughs> probably a little bit of both I mean okay the thing that happened the most was people would call up and say is this the babe's hotline and then and then they go we'd say yeah and then they would go and they'd hang up (laughs) okay because they just were like you know i think people get nervous well i think also because it's like did they really put it a hotline yeah they just for checking yeah let's check it but they just but people you know i think people a lot of people are shy it's just a fucking phone call man it's just a phone call there's no anonymity you know what i mean yeah what do you like come on well no because their number pops up right oh i don't know i don't even look at that stuff anymore (laughs) uh all right well what's the last track that we got uh true love story behind this it's just the truth it's just what i i I can't live in this world if i don't have true love ain't that beautiful well thank you man I appreciate it. Thank you to Danger Bird Records. Thank you. Uh, thank you to everyone. Uh, we'll be back next week. And here we go. Billy Womo, Snacky Tunes, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. See you next time.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.